from Ephesians 5:22-24. Wives, submit to your husbands as to the Lord, for the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to everything, in everything, to their husbands. Let us pray. I give thanks for Pastor Scott and his sermon that will explain this understanding from the Bible for me. I pray for the rain and weather that we have right now because it's good for our trees. And I pray for our trees because they take care of human boo-boos. I pray for my congregation. There's none better or greater. And welcome all these new people and faces that I see. I love you, Jesus. Love you, God. Amen. We established over the last couple of weeks as we've been looking at this foundational triad on the Christian family that the proper function of the family is to represent life with God in a microcosmic snapshot. And so when we are living in dysfunction or outside of God's purposes, then that is when we see a lot of problems and conflict arise. Last week we talked about Uh, the proper function of the husband in the family. And this week we are going to be looking at uh, the wife and God's proper function for the wife in the Christian family. There is a lot we could talk about in regard to these different roles of husband and wife. But specifically, I've chosen to look at the area of submission for the wives because I believe that it is the area that can be the most benefit and harm to a family in regard to this issue of representing uh, to the world our relationship with Christ. First of all, I would like to look at the question of what is submission? We're going to be looking at Ephesians chapter 5 here, and specifically these uh, verses that uh, were just read by Jack. And there is an issue of this word submission. What does it mean in the Greek? Okay, so when it's translated into English in, in um, our text here today, it can mean two different things. First of all, it can mean subjection, okay? That means that we bring another person under our control by force. Also, it can mean submission, which is a willingness to yield or to surrender to someone. Okay, so those are two different aspects of that. Some uh, scriptural examples of this exact same word used in other contexts. First of all, we see it in Luke 2.51, in the example of Jesus submitting to his parents. Uh, This is the incident in Jerusalem, and so they go there for uh, the festival, and uh, Mary and Joseph are leaving, they're on the road, they discover that Jesus is not with them, and so they go back and they look for him, 
and they find him in the temple speaking with the religious leaders of the day. And they're upset, rightly so. Why have you done this to us? What are you doing here? And Jesus tells them, didn't you know that I'd be in my father's house? And then it goes on to say that he submitted to them. By the way, ones that he created, right? And so in that situation and in that role as child, he submits to his parents. He obeys them. He surrenders his will to them. Also, we see in 1 Peter 2.18 that there is a submission of slave to master. And the interesting thing about that particular passage is Paul goes on to talk to the slaves and says, even if you have an unrighteous master who's not treating you well, you are to submit and obey them for the sake of the Lord and for your Christian witness. All right? Another example of this is in Romans 13.1, where it says that Christians are to be in submission to the governing authorities. Many at that time felt like the kingdom of God was not to fall into submission under the kingdom of the world. And here Paul clarifies, no, you are still under the submission, under submission to the governing authorities. Now note in that circumstance there that there is a um, type of subjection that happens as well. If you don't submit, certain things could happen to you. You could go to prison, you could be killed, you could be fined, those kinds of things. And so there is a threat of punishment that takes place in certain kinds of submission that fall into the area of subjection. I yield my desire, right, to go 120 miles an hour in a 55 mile an hour zone because of the threat of punishment. And so really, I am in subjection, but also willingly submitting as a Christian. Right? Now, there's a note to husbands here. The Bible doesn't say, subject your wives to submission. Right? It's, it's a willingness on the part of the wife to do what the Bible tells them to do here. And so, it's a command that's given to the wife. And you may have a wife that refuses to submit in your marriage. But you are not given the option to use coercion or force to bring her under subjection. What you do in that circumstance is you begin to pray for your wife, and you act like the husband that we talked about last week, one that lays down his life and gives himself to her. Now we come to a question of what is yielded. When the wife submits to the husband, what are they yielding to the husband? We're going to be looking at the scope of that. Many wives will limit their submission in a particular area, and that's called compartmentalized submission. For instance, they may submit in the area of finances, but not submit in the area of parenting. And as soon as the husband's gone, they parent the way they want to parent, instead of the way that the husband wants them to parent. And in fact, they might say, you know, I'm a much better parent anyway. And so we should do it the way that I'd like to do it. But note here in verse 24 that it says that the wife is to submit to her husband in everything. Now that doesn't mean, by the way, that the husband gets to boss the wife around and they have to do every single thing 
that the husband tells them to do, right? It means that there is somebody in a role that is in charge ultimately. We know this, we have this in many, many different aspects of our lives. How would our country look if there were four presidents, right? As a face to the world. It doesn't work. Somebody needs to take charge. Somebody needs to be the face, the voice, whatever it might be in those situations. And it's all over the world. It's not just in America. We see this everywhere, that somebody has to be the leader, right? Now remember that as we look at these things, they are a picture of the bride of Christ and how we as the church should submit in everything to the Lord. We do that with the Lord. Now some of us may not, (laughs) We may not submit those things. We might have compartmentalized submission as well. But we understand and we know that we should be doing that. What are some examples of things that are submitted? I'm actually going to go for the juggler here because the things that I'm going to be talking about are probably the hardest (laughs) to submit. These are the most difficult. These are the things that come up most often that are hard for wives to submit to their husbands. First of all, we see here an example in Titus 2, 3 through 5. It says, Older women likewise are to be reverent in behavior, not slanderers or slaves to much wine. They are to teach what is good and to train the young women to love their husbands and children, to be self-controlled, pure, working at home, kind and submissive to their own husbands, that the word of God may not be reviled. Notice in this situation here, something that is submitted to the husband is the desire for a career. I'm not talking about working here, okay? Many women in the Bible that were married worked, (laughs) all right? What I'm talking about is submitting your career to your husband. Many people come into the relationship and it's just a given. Well, I'm going to do this, my career that I've worked so hard on and gone to college and done this thing, and you do that, and we'll just kind of have our own two careers and go different, uh, different ways. And I think one of the reasons for that in our day and age is fear. It's fear that if my husband abandons me, if he wrecks our family, I need something to fall back on. And that's a a relevant fear. That's a real thing. We know people personally whose husbands abandoned them and were ding-dongs, and they were like, now what do I do, right? Okay, so that's a real fear. But I want you to note in history, in 1900, only 6% of married women worked outside the home, usually when their blue-collar husbands were unemployed because of injury or a layoff and then they went back to the homes when the husbands got better or got back to work. By 2000, the number of married women with children under the age of six that are working is around 64%. And of those 36% who don't work in the public realm, many will get jobs once their kids reach school age. Okay? And many of these women are better educated than their husbands and probably make more money than them. So why wouldn't you have this kind of career? And I'm not saying you shouldn't. All I'm saying is that you must submit that 
to your husband, having a conversation. You might have the kind of husband that says, you know what, honey? I'm willing to forgo the boat and the SUV and the ATVs and the flat screens and all these things just to be able to have you at home to be a homemaker for us. Or you might have the kind of husband that says, that's awesome, make as much as you can, go for it. Okay, but where's the conversation and where's the heart of the individual? Also in the, the um, a verse that talks about something very difficult is in the area of external adorning. We see this in 1 Peter 3, 3 through 6. It says, do not let your adorning, talking to women, be external, the braiding of hair and the putting on of gold jewelry or the clothing you wear, but let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which in God's sight is very precious. For this is how the holy women who hoped in God used to adorn themselves, by submitting to their own husbands, as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord. And you are her children if you do good and do not fear anything that is frightening. This is a tough verse. It's a very tough verse. By the way, notice here that he's not saying never wear jewelry, <laughs> never braid your hair, never wear nice clothes. What he's saying is, don't let your adorning come from that. An interesting thing in the grammar about the word uh, adorning, what it really means is, don't let your existence, there, it's the to be verb, don't let your to be come from this, your external beauty. I know many women, that's how I know them. Men, too, by the way. That the way I know them is from their external adorning. But that's as shallow as it gets, <laughs> right? You dig deeper, and there's nothing under the surface. The reason they've got the external adorning is a facade. And so what Paul is saying here, and God is saying, is to submit yourselves so that your existence doesn't come from how you look or how you present yourself. Rather, it comes from your relationships, especially if you're married. That your existence comes from your relationship with your husband. That's why it goes on to talk about Sarah, who submitted to Abraham, calling him Lord, okay? Meaning, I will obey you, right? You're the master of the house kind of situation, right? And so, this is not a sense where the man lords it over. Again, this is something that's submitted. And the reason it's submitted is because you recognize that you belong to your husband. And I'm not talking about ownership. I'm not talking about chattel or any of that kind of thing that's out in the dysfunctional world. It's the same as which we as the church belong to Jesus. And we get our identity our adorning, not because we have a great, wonderful church and isn't this building great and, you know, it's nice to have a good sanctuary, but I hope when people come, they don't say, wow, what a beautiful building. I hope they say, wow, what a beautiful Lord. And so in the family, too, when you as wives submit to your husbands, people look at that and they go, wow, what a beautiful relationship. I've been privilege to be a part of many different families where this was taking place. 
And it was a beauty to behold. It wasn't a pressing down, I'm the boss, I'm the man, I wear the pants, all that. No, it was a beautiful back and forth relationship that fulfilled the roles that God had at the very beginning of creation. Why did he create the man and the woman the way that he did? As a picture for us of the church in Christ. It's amazing. And that can be a great comfort for women as you find yourself in the midst of this relationship that you have. It's scary in the world today for women who get their adorning to be from their looks. It's cruel. Why is it a multi-billion dollar industry, makeup, skin care, hair, all these kinds of things? Because they're playing on the fears of women who are trying to get there to be from externals. And it's always changing, right? You gotta get the newest, latest thing to be accepted around you, and your existence is based on that. The reason for this is given in Colossians 3.18. It says that it's fitting in the Lord that they do this, that the word of God might not be reviled. Okay? Those of you who have children, this is probably the primary way that they will come to love the Lord when they see your relationship with their daddy and that you're submitting to him. And it'll be easy for them to submit to their dad and ultimately to the Lord. Many times children who have a very difficult time submitting to the Lord is because they haven't seen proper submission in their own families. It's very difficult. Now the question is, who teaches submission? I want you to note it's not the husbands, right? It's actually the older women of the congregation who have lived this out and seen the benefit of it. And you see a newly married young mom, and she's struggling, and the laundry's piled to the ceiling, and she's like, what am I doing? I have this awesome degree. <laughs> okay, honey, let me tell you the reason why this is so important. Here's what happened in my life. Here's how it affected me. And so, if we're constantly telling them, pursue the career, <laughs> and by the way, that's fine. Go to college, do whatever, you know, if the Lord's leading you in that. But ultimately, what's our goal? Family life. These careers are just a means to an end. They're a means to support ourselves so that we can do real life. If we let the modern media culture teach our young women what it means to be fulfilled, it's no wonder they get so depressed, right? Just go on The View or Ellen or Oprah and see what the message is there. I think the ultimate message is, you are not enough. Be more. Okay, so if yielded, so let's say the wife does yield in submission, what happens? Many of you wives are probably out there right now going, Scott, you don't know my husband. <laughs> He's a ding-dong. He's a bum. <laughs> okay? If I did what you're telling me to do, we'd be in the poorhouse. <laughs> Our whole life would be bankrupt, be ruined. But notice that God does not guarantee that everything that you do according to his word will end up happily ever after. I mean, ultimately, in eternity it will, but in this life, you will have trouble if you do the will of the Lord. 
Look at the situation with Paul. He's walking along. He's got a great career. He's just going crazy among the Pharisees, doing this amazing work that he thinks is for God. He gets whacked on the road to Damascus, and his whole life is a mess after that. Beatings, cold, hungry, going from place to place, shipwrecked, all these things. And if you begin to submit from the outside, it may begin to look like your life is worse (laughs) initially. But internally, there will be joy because you're following what the Lord is commanding you to do. Blessings and eternal life. There will be joyful fruit from yielding. Another thing that happens when you yield to your husband is that you enjoy the fruit of a joyful home that's filled with a mutual adventure. Proverbs 12:4 says, An excellent wife is the crown of her husband, but she who brings shame is like rottenness to his bones. Debbie Pearl is a Christian author who, along with her husband, has written many best-selling books on parenting and marriage. She has a book called Created to Be His Helpmeet, and she describes three different kinds of men. She encourages wives to get to know the kind of husband that they have so that they can be a better helpmeet to him. And so she describes these three. The first is the command man. All right. This is the consummate leader. He's usually somebody like a CEO, a pastor, a foreman, a politician, right? And so this is the kind of man who comes across a lot of times as pretty bossy, right? Large and in charge. And if you're the wife of a command man, what you will become if you submit to him is his great queen, really, you will lead together, supporting one another in the midst of this, and you lifting him up, and him come on along for the ride. If you fight it, though, say you come home, and he's been bossier than ever, and you're like, honey, I just can't stand how bossy you are. Well, you shouldn't have married a command man. (laughs) Sorry, right? The second is a visionary. This is the one who usually goes from thing to thing to thing, Women who are married to visionaries are usually one of two things, very rich or very poor. Because the thing that they tried, their vision caught on and made them billions. Or they're in the poorhouse because this guy just can't figure it out, right? Visionaries. Are you married to a visionary? If you're married to a visionary and you want to just stay settled, you're going to have a tough life. Because this guy's going to drag you all over the place. Okay? Maybe you're the balloon that he'll be tied, you know, the rock that you'll be tie, he'll be tied to as the balloon, you know? But, you know, encourage his vision. If you're always saying, that's a terrible idea, Why? no, we're not going to do that, we don't have the money. It's a tough life, tough, tough marriage. Last is the steady man. This is guys at the same house, the same job, the same car, and the same dog for the last two decades, right? They are just steady guys. And let's say you're not that kind of woman. Let's say, I want adventure, you're going to have a tough marriage. Because <laughs> this guy, you're going to look at him and this bum won't even get off the couch. Won't even leave Snohomish County. And I want to have adventure. What happens if it's not yielded? Let's say you do not submit to the husband that God has given you. In the Garden of Eden, one of the curses that sin brought was that in the marriage relationship, The wife would desire after the husband, and he would rule over her. 
What that means is there was going to be a clash in the marriage. The wife would desire after the husband. That doesn't mean, you know, sexually. That means I desire to be the boss, and he's going to push you down. And many of the problems of the sexes in our history have come from that curse. Okay? Men pushing down the women. You see it in many different cultures and religions. But notice that curses are broken in Christ. That's why this is important, because in Christ, if you begin to fulfill the roles, there isn't this pressing down and pushing down and constant struggle and who's the boss and I want to be in charge. It's a beautiful back and forth existence. It's, it's an amazing thing, actually. And I would say that actually without the Lord, without the Holy Spirit moving, this is impossible. Don't go to your wife, neighbor there, and say, by the way, if you just submit, things would be a lot better. No, they won't. They'll be worse, actually. Okay? Now, most of you are going to say, Scott, this is a great teaching and all that, and I can see that it's in Scripture, but you have to admit it's pretty idealistic in the society we live in. You know, this is just isn't practical. And I'll definitely admit that this is the case. In fact, I would go so far to say it's impossible. But all things are possible in the Lord. The Lord makes the impossible possible. And ultimately, the reason that it works is because the Bible tells us that a cord of three strands is not easily broken. If it's just the two, it's easy to break. But when you weave Jesus into your relationship, he's the bond that holds you together through the struggles of your life. The back and forth. This isn't easy stuff. In fact, Paul said, those who are married will have trouble in this life because you're living with somebody and you're rubbing against them and they're exposing your sin. We were standing in the kitchen of the house that I had bought right before Mary and I were married. And we were just talking, and suddenly she had a vision from the Lord. She thought, saw a three-cord strand come down in the middle of the kitchen right there. And she just started crying. I said, what? I just saw a three-cord strand. And it's funny, we've been all over the world and the country, and I can't count them many times. It's got to be at least a half a dozen times where we've been talking to somebody, and they'll say something about the three-cord strand. That's not something you hear very often out there. And every time I've been like, there it is. The Lord's just reminding us of the three-chord strand that is not easily broken. And we found that to be true. Coming from families in which there's so much brokenness, divorce, abuse, and yet the Lord has given us this beautiful picture that's always before me in my mind because I live in this way with my wife. And people look at that. How can they have such hope? How can they live in such a way where it's not this pressing down? If you talk to Mary, she'll tell you. She doesn't feel pressed down. She doesn't feel like the diminutive wife who's being bossed around by her command man husband. No. It's beautiful to her. It's beautiful to me. And I know that it can be beautiful for you in your marriage if you will not fear, but embrace the roles that God has given you. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for this, your word. I know that there are difficult passages that are hard to understand. And I know that there are many today here that do not agree. 
and many who will go home and shake their head and wonder how they can even think about this kind of thing. But Lord, I pray that your Holy Spirit, who is powerful and effective, will continue to work in their lives and families. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for tuning in to this sermon series from Elam. If you are encouraged today, would you consider supporting our online ministry through a financial contribution? Personal checks can be made out to Elam Lutheran Church and sent to 11504 26th Street, Northeast, Lake Stevens, Washington, 98258. Or you can give online at elamlutheran.net. Thank you and may God bless you the rest of your day.